very clear. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dear Katie, where survivors of sexual assault, rape, and abuse share their stories from hurt to healing. Today, Claire Kaplan, my co-host, and I are speaking with Blair. Blair is going to share her story of betrayal by her beloved dance instructor and how that especially devastating experience at a very young age impacted permanently her dreams of being a professional ballet dancer. She was groomed by a trusted grown-up and raped uh, by their adult friend. We're going to learn how she forged a new path for herself and taught teens what she wishes she had known at their age. Welcome to the Dear Katie podcast. This is Katie Kessner. And this is Claire Kaplan. Welcome to all of our listeners. We know that the contents of this podcast can be emotionally difficult. We also encourage you to care for your safety and well-being. So please reach out to friends, family, or even a hotline for support. Additional resources can be found on the Take Back the Night Foundation website. We will share that address with you toward the end of our podcast. Thank you so much, Claire, and um, welcome to all of our guests. We are so pleased to welcome our current survivor, um, Blair. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to talk with you and talk with you about your own journey and your story and what brings you to your microphone. Can you share with our listeners a little tiny bit about who you are and where you are right now? Sure. Um, And I'm also really excited to be doing this with you. So um, my name is Blair and I work at a boarding school. It's a high school. I live with freshmen and sophomore girls and I teach leadership and lifestyle skills. It's a very unique job and I feel very fortunate to have it and to be able to sort of guide these girls into coming into their own. I'm 31 years old and I'm also a cheerleading coach. <laughs> amazing, amazing, Blair. And if you could also then share a little bit about what brings you to your microphone right now, what was the experience that you'd like to share with our listeners? So I, I, um, when I was in high school, I was a minor, obviously, I was still in high school. I was a very into dancing and acting. And I was a principal performer for a local uh, studio theater arts company. And for those of you who don't really know that world, that dance world, it's pretty common for young dancers to be close with their dance teachers in a way that's maybe not like typical in a classroom setting, for example, like an academic classroom. Um, I was very close to my dance teacher. She was the main dance teacher at our studio. Um, Like I was so close with her that my junior year of high school, I was in her wedding. I was a junior bridesmaid. I danced at her wedding. My family considered her family. There was a group of older girls who were all really close with her and we thought she was so cool. She at the time had just graduated from college, but from grad school. So she was like in her 30s. And she was so cool. You know, we were these teenage girls and she was young and fun and we couldn't believe that she liked us. And she had invited us to a luau that she was hosting at her house um, with her husband. And they lived on a golf course. Um, and they'd explained to us that he had interns that were 18, 19 years old. And so we were really excited to meet them. We were like, oh, you know, cute boys and it'll be fun. And so we go to the party and there was drinking, there was heavy drinking. And while no one forced us to drink, 
our teacher knew that, you know, we were young and didn't really have much experience drinking and didn't understand the consequences of like how much we were drinking. And I remember very vividly that night being like offered an insane amount of alcohol, just kind of constantly flowing. Wait, Blair, let's like, so you are exactly how old? 17. 17, right? And I liked how you described being coached and the close proximity physically with your dance instructor, right? It's normal. And I feel like so many of our listeners have been in situations where they've been touched in what would be, quote, a normal practice, like whether it's coaching, dancing, singing. There are a lot of times when an adult might touch someone, right? And you have been touched by this adult in the past, true? Uh, when you say touched, you mean physically touched? Or yeah, like-, like physically touched or coached. Yes. And it seemed totally normal. Yes. She was never physically inappropriate with me. Right. So the that's what I think is really interesting and important, Blair, is thinking about how people who have power over us start with their access to our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. And how they might use that to their own gratification or you know, access later on. So I I just wanted to explore that for a moment and your thoughts on that. Um, Yeah. Go ahead. My face right now is like my jaw is dropped. I never really took a step back and thought about how much access she did have to my body. Right. That's what I I was thinking too. Right. I mean, think about, think about you, you're talking as a dancer who's very deeply involved in your, um, your art. And this is also true of athletes who rise to a certain level of skill where they have a, you know, their own coach. And, you know, you hear stories all the time, right? Like so much has just been (laughs) opened for me. And I'm like physically feeling it now. I'm like, wow, putting that concept. I think we actually have to do go to the next level. So where we left off on your beautiful narrative is now you're, I think you, you were at the domicile, you were at the home, right? Correct. Can we, sorry, but yeah, let's go back to the, the, the location. Okay. And and then breathe through that. Okay. So yes, we were at her, the the party. And you're still 17 and you're still still in high school and you're okay. Go ahead. Yes. And there was uh there were two other high school students with me from the dance studio. One of them was my very best friend since childhood. We danced at the same studio and became very close to this teacher. And we had been told that there would be interns from the golf course at the party. So they were like closer in our age and we were excited to meet them. They were still going to be, you know, older boys because we were told they were like 18, 19. So we were excited about that. I had talked a bit about like the drinking. While no one forced us to drink, we were children. We were teenagers uh, with all literally grown adults who were very clear, like she was introducing us as her her dancers from her studio. So they knew that we were minors. I think it was also very clear just like looking at us that we were minors. And throughout the course of the night, this guy started giving me attention and I really liked it. I mean, he was a really attractive guy. I was told by my dance teacher and her husband, who also knew our age, that he was an intern. So I thought he was 19. 
at this point I was I was pretty intoxicated like when we started talking so my judgment was definitely off a bit we flirted throughout the night he uh, I know I remember a couple of points he pressured me into taking jello shots which I had never done at that point a lot of our listeners are very interested in the alcohol piece so how did you come by the alcohol just and was it only alcohol no other substance um, there were no other substances that I was aware of. There might have been, but nothing that I was around or witnessed or tried. But yeah, we definitely like going to the party. We she told us we could drink, and we were really excited. You're, she she she. You're a dance teacher. My right? dance teacher. Yep. Do you remember her narrative? Oh, I still remember the exact moment. Yeah, <laughs> let, let's go. Let's go there. What was it? <laughs> Um, we had just finished ballet class and the group of us who she was like closer with my dance teacher who she was closer with called us over and was like listen you know you girls have been with me for a long time and I trust you and I know you trust me and I'm not going to say her husband's name but she said my husband and I are (gasps) throwing a luau and we knew him like we were there when they started dating and we were there when he proposed Um, you know, we were really, our dance community was very tight knit. So it was after ballet class. And she said, you know, my husband and I want to invite you to the luau. And she said, we're having just our closer friends over for dinner. And so you can tell your parents to drop you off for dinner and just say that we're going to work on some dance stuff later and you'll just sleep over. And we did just that. You know, we told our parents we were invited over for dinner with some of her friends and our parents knew some of her friends, um, just from how close we were, because her friends would sometimes help out at the studio with shows and stuff. So like, you know, my parents knew probably two or three of the adults who were at the dinner. And just because of how normal it was in the dance world for you to have that relationship, like they didn't think anything of it. They trusted right. this woman. Sure. Yeah. They had no reason not to. Exactly. <laughs> like they really trusted this woman and, you know, they considered her family. So I'll get to that later. So we went to the dinner. My mom even walked in. Like my mom drove me and my best friend who I'd grown up with met us there. And so like my mom was in the house and saw that it was like a luau themed dinner. And she was like, how fun, like have a great time. Um, And so then after the dinner, that's when it got like, it turned into just like a wild luau. The drinking started, they started using the backyard, which is where the tiki bar had been set up. And it was like in a very hidden area because their land, they had so much land because it was on the golf course. So the bar wasn't in plain sight, like when my mom dropped us off. (laughs) So um, we certainly were excited. Like, I remember we went over and got our first pina colada and we were like, ooh, you know. (laughs) But I also very clearly remember adults throughout the night and my dance teacher consistently coming up to us offering us more alcohol. This was not the first time my friend and I drank, but it was maybe the third time we drank and we did not understand how much we were consuming at all. (laughs) And um, yeah, so that I feel like is like the alcohol piece. It was just kind of constantly flowing. It was easy access. It felt so cool that these adults who we thought were really cool were like, here, take a shot with me. And I like thinking about that too, Blair. I like thinking about the the encouragement of adult supervision and acknowledgement and embracing the whole behavior, right? Right. So it felt very normative. Mm-hmm. And I also am rolling back to all of our listeners and hearing when you were dropped off by your mom 
And there's so many parents, I think, who are going to hear this and be like, oh, I dropped my kid off. And they might be listening 10 or 20 years later in their life when they dropped off their own child, much like you or I or anyone else who said, I trust this environment. And sometimes they're going to go back to that and say, wow, I made a huge mistake. Right. And we can get back to that. But I I think that's an important part of that is the guilty parties all around. Mm -hmm. Right. Let's get to the rest of the story. Yeah, like dig in on your story first. Okay. So the, you know, the, the guy was giving me this attention and I was excited and definitely flirting back with him, thinking he was an, like a 19-year-old intern. And we, at one point, he said, I really want to kiss you. Can I take you somewhere private? And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so he took me to his car and I remember he kissed me and he did ask me before he kissed me, which I thought was like, oh, like this is a great guy. <laughs> you know, he's asking me before he kisses me. And we kissed, we made out in the car. Everything was uh, consensual. He started going a little too far and I wasn't comfortable with that. And I, I just kind of nervously laughed. I was too embarrassed to say, like, I don't want you to do that. And he, he said to me, are you a virgin? And I said, yes. And so he knew I was a virgin. And then, you know, he took me back out to the party. We hung out with other people. He was still really flirty with me. He would like come over and like kiss my forehead, which when I look back at it now, it's, it's so strange to me because I, I've grown to feel that that's something so intimate, like kissing someone's forehead in public feels really intimate and or just like, a, like very affectionate. And he had just met me. And I thought it was just the sweetest thing, like my knees were melting. And so the night kind of started winding down. And he said, like, do you want to lay down with me and I was like sure like let's fall asleep together and so we were laying next to each other and he basically like we were probably laying for like 10-15 minutes and he turned my body over and said I'm not done with you I want more and then just proceeded to rape me my whole body froze and I very clearly remember that like I couldn't move I do remember at one point saying, please don't do that. Please stop. And he just said, it's going to feel really good. And it was, I mean, like right now as I'm explaining and I can take myself right back to that, that we were on the floor of the dining room and I can just, I'm like instantly back there. And that's a really hard thing. He raped you on the floor of the dining room in the house? Yeah. And were other people around? Not in the dining room, but there were people like in the rooms next to us we had like a blanket over us because that's where we were sleeping for the night. It was a carpeted dining room. And so we were sleeping on the floor cuddling and then he raped me. One of the worst parts of it was at a certain point, my dance teacher opened the door and she was like, oh, woohoo, get it. And witnessed it. She knew I was a virgin. She was, she was very drunk at that point. I'm not making excuses for her, but like it was horrible she witnessed me being raped and did nothing about it. And I don't know visually what it looked like to her, but like, I know I was just laying there and I know she knew I was a virgin. When he finished, he kissed my forehead and rolled over and I walked out of the room and I just rocked myself. I was just rocking back and forth in the hallway. Everyone was asleep at that point. And I was just like, you know, I was outside of my body processing, like not even processing yet, just kind of like, I guess, survival mode at that point, not knowing what to do. 
And your friends were wherever they were and you had no idea where they were. At that point, yeah, I had no idea where they were. I couldn't even like bring myself to text them to be like, where are you? Can we meet up? I just, I literally watched the sunrise while I was in the hallway, just like rocking back and forth. The next morning he was like, I got to head to work. I really enjoyed my time with you. I couldn't even speak, like literally didn't say anything to him. Found my best friend. She came down and I was still in the hallway. Like people were walking around and I was just in the hallway sitting down and no one was like, what's wrong? Like it wasn't a normal thing to see someone just kind of like (laughs) in the hallway, clearly hadn't slept. I had started crying in the middle of the night. So like I knew I looked like I had been crying. And my friend, when we like when she came down and saw me, she was like, oh, God, like you look so hungover. And I was like, we need to go. I was like, can we please just go? And she was like, yeah, like, hold on, let me just get my stuff. And so we got into her car because she drove herself. So she was driving us back home. And we were in the car. I told her what happened. And she was like, well, he was really hot. Like, you're like lucky. And at least you're not a virgin anymore. And this was like my one of my best friends from childhood who had a very like different sexual experience than me. Like she had lost her virginity when she was 15 um, and had had sex at that point with uh, different partners. And I guess, you know, it, it's not that it was a, it's just that at that point we had very different experiences with like sex. <laughs> oh, um, wow. How did that feel when she, she made that comment? Do you remember? Oh my gosh, Blair, get it together. Um, you're a loser. Like he was really hot and, and you were lucky and he picked you out of all the girls and like, just suck it up and get over it. Get it together. I'm a loser after I was raped. Yep. That's so powerful to me, Blair. I, I just want to shout and scream and think about what the voice you're giving to our listeners. Like, not so only that, many, yeah, right. Go ahead, not Blair. only that, Katie, but I'm thinking, Blair, you're rewriting the script already in your head. Right. You're editing what occurred. Yep. With the language of victim blaming mm-hmm. and trying to psych yourself into to rewriting what happened so it wasn't what it was. Right. It was like, so many, so many do that, right? Yeah. That's, that's so common. And when you say that, um, Blair, just that moment when you're that person, your past self, saying those things to yourself paint a bigger picture because I feel like that's the heart nightmare that so many listeners are feeling and we go through it so many times like I'm such an idiot I was so dumb we we are whipping ourselves into a frenzy of guilt Mm -hmm. when you're there in that place can you think about why it was that narrative that you needed to say to yourself or had to say to yourself or where it came from? I think it was probably a few things. I think one, it made it not a reality anymore. It made me kind of like, you never think I'm going to be raped. And so I think saying that almost made me feel like I had power in the moment, even though it was, I think in a way doing the exact opposite, but it, it, it erased what had happened. I wasn't raped. I lost my virginity to a guy I met at a party. You know, I think the other piece of it was just like in that world of dance and and this and that, you know, my best friend and I had always been competitive, very competitive (laughs) with each other. And so we had a really weird dynamic and there's so much 
focus on physical appearance in that world. And, you know, we were both really beautiful girls and we both got attention from guys, but like, I, she always had a boyfriend. She always had the attention from a guy. And I think hearing her say that made me think like, so, well, he picked you and not her. So like, yeah, like you are, you're being an idiot. I also think Blair, the narrative of you are the chosen one is the demonization and the def- like the fall of so many of us as women. We fall prey to if you're not the chosen, you must find a way to be the chosen and even to forsake your own ability to consent and feel ownership of your body is part of that narrative, right? Mm-hmm, right. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I think, sorry, my brain is kind of like going right back into that moment and just sort of as you're walking through your question and and your observations, it's like, I can remember like sitting in her car and just being like, well, I'm a woman now. And like, she's probably jealous. And maybe that's why she was kind of nasty in her response. I think that's so powerful, Blair. It's like part of that, like, I up to you. I'm, I'm there and you're not. I got what you didn't. And if I could, I would love to hear one more thing from you, Blair, on that flip side of the coin for our men who might be so male pronoun identified who are listening with us. You know, I think there's a similar pressure. It's a flip side entirely. I got that. You were the got. Yeah, he tapped that. Blair, <laughs> you were, uh, I got you. I tapped you. And then the flip side of that, I can almost envision, envision the car two parking lots away. I got that. I tapped that. And that was his version of I achieved too. It's somewhere on the radar screen of like tragedy of how we're trying to build out humans in respect. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because I don't think I initially envisioned this, but like, you know, years later, as I really began to process it, one of the things that replays in my head is just like how happy and confident he was when he left that morning. And it's very much that energy of what you just said, like in the car, you know, I got that. It was like, he looked like he conquered something. And as an adult, when I sit back and like process that whole situation I'm just like how like what (laughs) that's one of the things that really sticks out to me is just how confident and good he felt about himself that especially because you were a virgin and he was the first one you know this whole male ownership position um, initiation thing that somehow it's a big deal to you know pop the cherry sort of thing you know those sorts of things they talk about that and here you were never once were you asked if you were a willing participant in this what, once you got home, what happened? I couldn't take a shower. And that was so strange to me because the whole car ride, all I wanted to do was take a shower. But then when I got home, I literally felt like if I took a shower, the whole world was going to fall apart and somehow my parents were going to know what happened. And so I just went in bed and I cried. My mom was out of town that day. And my dad was like, hey, like, what's going on with you? And I said, I just, I think my stomach is upset from something I ate. I don't know. I just, I'm just overwhelmed. I don't feel good. You know, my dad's a great guy, but he certainly wasn't like in tune with teenage girl <laughs> cues. And I think if my mom was there, probably would have processed it a little bit differently, but that didn't happen. That night I texted my teacher 
So this was the next the, the next day. I texted my teacher and I just said, you know, I'm really, I'm really overwhelmed and kind of out of my mind about what happened. And she was like, oh, Blair, just like, it's fine. He was talking to her husband and said it was one of the best he ever had. And that, to me, almost felt like a second assault because I had made it clear to her that I wasn't okay with what happened and that I, like, she knew that, like, I was a virgin. And so we hadn't got into that part yet. But I said, dance teacher, he raped me. And she was like, Blair, you were flirting with him earlier in the night. <laughs> and that, that was like, to me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh. Um, again, to remind our listeners, this was 20 years ago? Correct. A little oh, over 20 God. years. But I, th- I think it's important to to explain something here, and that is, when a young, when a person, male or female, is flirtatious and well, drinking obviously, but but you know, flirtatious and playing and and engaged in that kind of um, interaction with another person that they might be interested in, that does not mean that they said. And because I did this, I now you now have carte blanche access to my body. Right. This. Yep. And when she made the comment about how he said to her husband that it was one of the best, like, I mean, one, that just is so, it just felt so degrading and dirty and I couldn't process it at the time. The, I mean, the other piece of this is you have this completely un- inexperienced young woman who has been drinking and you were kind of lying there like a log, right? Because you couldn't, <laughs> right? If you were one of his best, then he's had some pretty awful. <laughs> or he, or he likes a lot of logs. But I, I remember thinking that it was it was strange to me that he would share that with him because from my understanding, he was an intern who had just started there. And I thought that was a weird thing to say to your boss. And she said, oh, haha, I forgot to tell you, he wasn't one of the interns. He's my one of my husband's really good friends. So I found out after that this man was 37 years old. I thought in my mind, and not that age in this situation matters, rape is rape, but for me, it put into perspective, like, this was a grown man who knew I was in high school, and he knew that I thought he was freshly out of high school. I'm just processing this. I'm thinking, how can these, this, I'm not talking about him right now. I'm talking about your dance teacher and her husband. How could they think that this was okay? You know, you young teenage girls, fresh meat, right? And drunk feeding you alcohol. They were feeding you alcohol. All they the were. Girls. So, oh my God, I just, ugh, it just makes me no, want to throw up. But here's the few questions I have. I want to hear a little bit about nightmares and triggers because all of us have them. We have to overcome them. How did you do so? And then that's number one. Number two I have on your plate is trust relationships where are you in that department and finally where where's your hope for our listeners before we get to that katie though i think the listeners probably have a question in their minds and that is when did you ever tell your mother but also what was your relationship what was your relationship with your dance teacher after that did you continue no so i stopped dancing there which was like a huge if like my my mom couldn't figure out why I just sort of gave this up, like it, it had been my whole world, and I was still performing, just not with them. And I kind of, I guess, in a way, was lucky because I was like, Mom, I want to focus on getting into performing arts college, and so I want to focus on you know building my um my online reel. 
and and this and that. You know what I mean? And so she definitely pushed. And I think she just felt like maybe there was a friendship rift, like there was an issue with a friend at the studio. But I also think I was really convincing about the whole, like, I want to focus on college. And so it kind of just was let go. Um, I, I didn't tell her until years later. And interestingly enough, there was continued, like, mind and emotional manipulation between the dance teacher and my best friend who was there that night. We didn't talk or I didn't speak to her, for, for to the dance teacher, for about, I guess, maybe three years. And then my junior year of college, she reached out to me as if like nothing had happened and was like, hey, if you're ever back in the area, I, I she owned at that time. So um, when I was a junior in college, she actually owned the studio at that point and was like, hey, like if you ever want to teach, I'd love to give you a session teaching our acting classes here. And it was like this very weird thing where I was like, well, I want her to like me still. You know what? It was just so bizarre. But I, and, I want to dig in on one more thing. I'm sorry to intercede. But that part is so so similar. I think when all our listeners say, I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be forgiven. I wanted to heal. I wanted to find solace. Like what you, you're speaking is I wanted to find a place where I could resolve. And I do want to dig in on that so keep going keep sure. going okay um so i ended up you know taking her up on her offer i began uh sort of guest teaching whenever i was home um because i was at school in a different state and so whenever i came home i would guest teach at the studio and <laughs> i just there was this part of me that was like i need this family i need this dance and acting family so i started teaching there and Soon, like after I graduated, I actually worked there full time managing the studio and teaching acting. And it was so unbelievably toxic <laughs> that I I had a lot of physical responses to it, one of which my doctors believe I, I had my period for six months straight and everything was like physically fine with me. And they, they sort of just said it has to be stress. And I started having these like really bizarre nightmares about spiders like every single night. And this was, so I haven't talked about the nightmares like initially right after the rape, but years later when I came back to teach for her, I kept dreaming of spiders coming out of my body. And I looked it up what that meant. And it meant that you have, or one of the sort of analysis of, of that was that you have a very manipulative, toxic woman in your life. And the next day, something really explosive happened between us and I quit on the spot and I never looked back and I've never been happier. <laughs> Wow. Well, we won't go into the whole yes. sexism and spiders issue. <laughs> the interpretation, right? Uh, yes, you know, but black widow thing. The, yeah. the spider dream stopped but, as soon as I quit. <laughs> yeah, but at any toxic person, you know, in mm -hmm. your life could be re represented by a spider. Yeah. But but wow, that's what a powerful image that is. And then you, what's happening? Um, well, so I guess I should go back to Katie's initial question about like immediately after if I was having nightmares, um, and I was, and those nightmares initially, like right after the rape always involved my rapist, my dance teacher and her husband, and then my best friend who was there that night, just laughing at me and me being on the floor on my knees and them above me, just laughing at me. Yeah, it felt, it was awful. <laughs> yeah, it was a reoccurring nightmare. 
Uh, was this one you could shelve or you had to figure out how to solace, cre create solace and yeah, kind of sew it up? I had to definitely figure out um, sort of how to create that piece for myself because it would, it, at first it was like every night or every other night. And then I got to a point and I don't know, I don't know if it was just as time began to, I don't want to say heal me, but as I began to distance myself from that community, like I said, I went to college out of state. Um, I was, I kept myself very busy. I think that really helped and the nightmares, but then every so often, even now I'll have the same nightmare, but it's nowhere near as frequent as it was. It, is it the same narrative? Is it the same cast of characters, the same backdrop, the same, it's you know, the same characters, but I think as like time have gone on, I, I don't see. So in the beginning I saw you had new plot lines. <laughs> so not even I, that, I just like certain details, like the house, I could see the mm. house behind them initially, but now I just see mm. their faces and their faces become more and That's more. That's so distorted. interesting. Yeah. I, th I think that part's really interesting because, you know, all of us, our listeners too, Blair, they, have nightmares just like you and I in our journey to survivorhood and sometimes they my my cast of characters morph into like very clear whatever I think they are they're you know all of their characteristics no and I think that's what I was probably doing and that because like, like I said the backdrop would fade away and for so long that house was like to me a haunted house you know I, I didn't want anything to do with that house and as time has gone on, it's it's morphed away, and their faces are morphing away. But, oh my gosh, this has been brilliant. So Claire, um, I have definitely a couple more questions for Blair, but I'm sure you have some. More. I have lots of questions for Blair. <laughs> Blair, you've spoken about the dreams, and you've talked about how they're changing. I'm curious to know what other resources did you reach out to, if any, or what processes you may have used or taken advantage of in some way for your healing? What else have you done? Sure. So when I actually got to college, I stopped dancing completely. And I think when I, when I really reflect back on that, I think it was because it was rooted in that trauma. Like I connected it to all of that, but I continued acting. So my sophomore year of college, so I began dancing again. And that was for me so healing. I was able to take the classes I wanted. I was able to feel like I was more in control of the relationships I wanted to have with my dance teachers. And that to me was my therapy, was dancing again. Reclaiming your body. Yep. I love hearing, Blair, that you returned to dance because you loved it so much and you took it back. And I know so many young people who had a sport or some kind of art that they loved who had it taken away from them because of being victimized and traumatized. And often they can't go back to it. And I love hearing that you were able to reclaim it. Yes. I feel really lucky in that sense because I, just like you, I've heard and seen a lot of people who can't reclaim that love and that passion. And I, it was interesting to see how I reclaimed it because it was just very different than what I grew up. Like I grew up with like ballet, jazz, Broadway, um, I got more into like hip hop and jazz and just like freestyle dancing. And that, that was unique for me and felt really good. That's wonderful to hear. And did you ever get any kind of counseling or anything? Or did you, you found your healing through dance and movement? I did get therapy. So my freshman year at, at school, these 
two boys were, you know, two students were walking and just being total idiots. And they were like, they were they were calling it kissing bombing. So they were like pushing girls into buildings and like kissing them on their cheeks and their foreheads. Oh gosh! And I unfortunately was one of the girls that that happened to. And I called public safety when it happened, but I just couldn't calm down. I was just another level of like anxiety attack. And they, the officer, there was a, a, a woman working and she was like, you know, I know what happened to you was very scary and didn't feel right. And she was like, but I kind of have a feeling something more is going on here. And she's like, I'd love to walk you over to our school counselor. And she connected me with a therapist at, at the school, the university. And I saw that woman all four years that I was there. Wow. Yeah. So I'm guessing it was helpful in some way because you wouldn't have continued if it hadn't been. Yeah, it was definitely helpful. I had my struggles, like times where I would avoid her and I would be like, I'm not coming into therapy. (laughs) And, you know, we had our ups and downs. (laughs) I like thinking also, Blair, about two things. I think the body and the mind need healing. And luckily, you did both, right? Your dance body needed healing and touch needs healing and understanding touch as consensual and comfortable, energetic, powerful, positive needs healing. And then your brain needed healing, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just want to roll back for a moment on your body. How did your body heal? Right. It's actually really interesting. And one of the things I still struggle with the most, because one of my, I guess my defense and my way of protecting myself after everything happened, I let myself gain a lot of weight. I don't want to say a lot of weight, but my body changed. I was like a size two. And then, you know, my body changed. And in my mind, I was, I felt like I was creating a physical barrier to protect myself from men. I didn't want attention. And, And not that, you know, in my brain as a young person, I was like, okay, gaining this weight will keep people away from me, which obviously isn't true. People are beautiful and lovable and attractive at any size. But as a young woman working through that, that was my sort of thought process. And or even just just for my body to look different than it did when I was raped. I wanted to look different. And so that has been something that I it's been a very long term thing that I'm healing. And it's not so much about size as, as, as it is with health. And I'm making sure that I'm connecting physically and treating my body the way it needs to be because it deserves to be treated that way and reminding my body and my mind that what he did does not change the value of my body because it was for me for a very long time. So that's like the physical first piece of that. But the the second piece is that I, uh, one of the long-term effects of of my rape was that I developed a, a, I don't want to say disorder, but without going into too much detail, a physical response that's a true medical physical response to intimacy. And I basically couldn't be intimate with people I wanted to be. My body physically reacted in a way that wouldn't allow me to. And so I had to actually go to pelvic floor therapy to help work through that. And I think for some people that might sound like not a big deal, but, you know, as a woman coming into my 20s and then my 30s and not being able to do the things I wanted to do with the people I wanted to do them with, I mean, that is really mentally and emotionally draining on a human being. 
especially because it's linked to trauma. It was because of what happened that my body developed this response. Thank you for bringing that up, Blair, because this is a lot more common than most people realize that inability to, well, pain or other kinds of responses to intimacy, whether it's pain or a lack of response, whatever it is, a lot of those disorders come from trauma. And I don't know that necessarily everybody understands that, particularly men who have partners who are survivors and don't understand what's going on. And a lot of women think there's something physiologically wrong with them or, you know, and doctors don't know it either. They don't understand it. And thank you for bringing that up and mentioning that because I think what you're, those words are going to bring a lot of solace to, to <laughs> some of our listeners who, oh my God, I'm not the only one this happened to. Right. You know? And, um, and that there is, a, there is treatment for that. You mentioned the pelvic floor therapy and that, yes, that is something that can be done. And so I think that a lot of people don't understand that. So thank you again for bringing that up. Yeah, I hope that reaches somebody because, you know, as you said, that was so isolating and scary for me. And I was so down on myself, like, what's wrong with me? Because not only are we supposed to be virgins all the time, even when we're, you know, no longer virgins, but we're supposed to be fabulously skilled in bed. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> that doesn't um, happen. <laughs> yeah. And well, and so that affected physically, you know, my relationships with people and, and, and emotionally and dating. I truly have not been in a healthy relationship until my current relationship right now. He's amazing. We've been together almost three years now, and he's been a major part of my healing process, even just in the sense of like him letting me talk about what happened, how it affected me when I'm having bad days, just being like, I'm really struggling with flashbacks. And just he's just so supportive and open to to being there by my side. And he's, you know, really encouraged me to do what I need to do to heal. That's fabulous. <laughs> I feel like we talked with you for so long, um, Blair, but I I think the journey you've taken us on has been so powerful. And I think what are what's your message, Blair, to our our, our listeners, our survivors? What what would you like to empower them to do next? Sure. I think even before, you know, what to do next, what I want to say to young women and, and not even just young women, to just just young people <laughs> is if something doesn't feel right, you are allowed to say that. There are not like levels of who got it worse when it comes to sexual assault and sexual abuse. Assault is assault. I want young people to feel like they can speak up for themselves and feel heard when they explain their trauma or when they when they, you know, disclose their trauma. And to survivors, I just I want them to know that like it's not going to happen overnight. And you're going to have some days that are totally awful, but you are capable of living the life that you want to live and owning your body and your mind and your heart and your spirit again. Those are beautiful words. And I hope that our audience will take that to heart. There's a lot of wisdom there. 100%. Yes. Thank you so much, Blair. As we round out our interview with you, Blair, the only other question I have remaining is, I do think it would be lovely and powerful to hear from you about how you and I first met and to share with our survivors about your own life journey and how I impacted your own life. Absolutely. So when I was a freshman, yeah, I was a freshman in high school, Katie came to speak at our school and shared a lot of wisdom about being a survivor and about what had happened to her 
and sort of what happened after that and her journey. And I vividly remember her saying, if you need to reach out to me, I'm here to listen. And she shared her email with the student body. Um, and a couple of weeks after that, I had been assaulted and I didn't know how to express to an adult what had happened to me. And I sent Katie an email and I said, you know, you, you came to speak at our school and what you said really spoke to me. And I want to let you know that this is what happened to me. Do you have any advice? And I just poured my heart out in that email. And I can still remember like where I was sitting in the library when I wrote that email. And she responded right away and was so supportive and walked me through, you know, what I could do and, and empowered me to make the choice for what I needed to do. And that has stuck with me to this day. And it was it's just it just goes to show how much sharing your story can reach someone and change their lives. Because if I had held in what had happened to me as a freshman, I think my experience in high school would have been completely different. Um, but because of Katie's words and support, I was able to get the help that I needed. You know, years later, <laughs> Katie reached out to yeah, <laughs> the school where I currently work and we reconnected that way. And I remembered her and I was like, oh, my gosh, you spoke at my school. <laughs> That's a great but, story. Yeah. yeah. My gosh, thank you so much for sharing that, um, Blair, because when I reached out to you and you were there and you shared that specific backstory i was honestly humbled and was like oh my gosh one sentence one email one stage presence for 42 and a half minutes made all the difference and so i personally land with first gratitude to you blair for joining us and sharing your story thank you for doing that with us <laughs> Um, thank you, Claire, for joining us. Thank you for our listeners for coming here with us. Um, this, again, has been another Dear Katie podcast. Thank you, thank you to everyone joining us. Um, and thank you, of course, to Blair. And Claire, close us out. Yes, thank you, Blair, from me as well. We are so grateful to all of you who have joined us to listen and learn, no matter your reason for being here. This podcast is for everyone from all walks of life. For support, please visit our resources listed on the tapebackthenight.org website, where you can tune in to our upcoming events and gain access to our free legal hotline. Self-care is self-love. Thank you for joining another episode of the Dear Katie podcast. We look forward to welcoming all of our survivors, supporters for another episode in the coming week. Please continue to take good care of yourself. Together, we will shatter the silence and end the violence. We're grateful to all of you who have joined us for this episode of Dear Katie's Survivor Stories. If you need support but don't know where to find it, please visit takebackthenight.org for a list of resources. You can reach out to our legal support hotline, uh, connect with other survivors through our social media, and you can also help other survivors simply by subscribing to our podcast and sharing it far and wide. Please consider posting it on your own social media with some remark about what it's done to help you and make sure to follow us on ours. Dear Katie is completely produced by all of us, an amazing group of volunteers. We care so much about this cause. The paycheck isn't what we're doing it for. Thank you to all of our volunteers. Thank you to our listeners. And thank you for our survivors, wherever you are, for being present and joining us in this process of growth, strength, and healing. 
always remember self-care is essential to healing and to thriving.